Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens? Beautiful people everywhere. It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I am your host. How's everybody doing out there? I pray that you all are doing as well as you can be. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for another episode of Village Mentality. I would like to give a shout out to four-time Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics, Simone Biles, who not only had the courage to speak up about her mental health challenges during the Olympic Games, deciding to forego the team's finals so that she could take care of herself, but for coming back to compete in the balance beam competition and what an apparatus to come back on. She grabbed the bronze medal, adding to her already outstanding career. You go girl, I salute you. I also wanna give a shout out to Team USA who walked away with 113 medals, including 39 gold. Now the next Summer Olympics are scheduled to take place in Paris in 2024. So beautiful people, let's start things off with a little bit of music, shall we? Now this song is from her third studio album, which was released on July 28, 1986. And it was her first number one single on the US Billboard Hot 100. It was included on Pitchfork's 200 best songs of the 80s listed at number 48. After the success of this single, it made her and one of her siblings the first to both have number one hits on the Hot 100. The album is Control, and her sibling that shares the accolade of having a number one hit on the Hot 100 is none other than her world-famous older brother, the late king of pop himself, Michael Jackson. Here's When I Think of You by Janet Jackson.
Well, Village, you know me. I like to take a little bit of time to talk about some things, whether it be about current events, entertainment, or something that is just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. Now, Village, I think that we all like to hear when one of us is winning and doing big things. And this queen is no exception. I'm talking about none other than Rihanna. That's right, kings and queens. Riri has achieved billionaire status. Now, for those who may not know about her, her given name is Robin Rihanna Fenty known to all of us as Rihanna. She is a Barbadian singer, actress, fashion designer, and businesswoman. She was discovered by American record producer, Evan Rogers, and he invited her to the US to record demo tapes after signing with Def Jam in 2005. In 2017, she founded the Fashion House Fenty as its artistic director and she became the first black woman to head a luxury brand for LVMH, otherwise known as Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy Group. Now her music has catapulted her to global stardom and has established her as a bona fide sex symbol. Now I am sure that all my kings out there would agree. I see you drooling fellas. Now, with sales of over 250 million records worldwide, Riri is one of the best-selling music artists of all time. That's 14 number one hits, 31 top 10 singles in the U.S., 
and 30 top 10 hits in the UK. She's won nine Grammy Awards, 13 American Music Awards, 12 Billboard Music Awards, and six Guinness World Records. Now that is nothing to sneeze at, honey. Time Magazine named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world back in 2012. She is the wealthiest female musician with an estimated net worth of 1.7 billion. Aside from music, she is also known for her involvement in humanitarian causes and entrepreneurial ventures. She's the founder of a nonprofit organization, the Clara Lionel Foundation, which was created in 2012, and it funds groundbreaking education and emergency preparedness and response programs around the world. And in March of 2020, the fund donated $5 million toward COVID-19 response efforts. He was appointed as an ambassador of education, tourism, and investment by the, gov the government of Barbados in 2018. As Alicia Keys would say, this girl is on fire. I am so happy for her and all of her success. Let's wish her nothing but the best village. We see you, Riri. Keep on slaying, queen. last week that there was an article that was published in Make It Black that talked about reparations and whether or not it could help to close the wealth gap between black and white families. They spoke to five business leaders within the African-American community to get their opinion about this very important topic in BIPOC communities. Last week, I shared with you the thoughts and opinions about this subject from Robert L. Johnson, who's the founder of BET and RLJ Companies, who stated that it would take $14 trillion to close the gap, but that he did not believe that his proposal would get the political backing that was needed. And therefore, he proposed the Boost Act. And let me just correct one thing, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not really talking about BIPOC communities as much as I'm specifically talking about African-American communities. I just want to make that clarification. Now, this week, I will be sharing the thoughts and opinions of John Hope Bryant, who is the chairman and CEO of Operation Hope. So when he was asked if he felt that reparations is the key to closing the racial wealth gap, here is what he had to say. I think that human dignity and common considerations are the key to closing the wealth gap. Unfortunately, human dignity requires that we heal the breaches of inhumanity between us, the very thing that opened the door to slavery in the first place. Common considerations would acknowledge black slavery as the largest reverse transfer of wealth in American history. That won't happen because it would bankrupt the nation if calculated properly. And so 
the best the nation could do in the name of reparations is to commit to educate every black child from kindergarten through college and to treat it as a forward investment in the nation by the nation and in partial consideration of all those who built the nation for free. So when he's talking about educating every black child from kindergarten to college, sounds like he means for free, and that would be dope. He goes on to say, all of this said, reparations alone are not even the key. But what was really lost was a measure of our self-esteem and self-belief. We were never given the memo, which was the name of his last book, on how this free enterprise and capitalist system works. We were never taught how to come up from nothing, which is the name of his current book, and the necessity of this winning mindset. And we never gathered the necessary relationship capital required to succeed in a capital system, which requires the right mindset and the access to sustainable opportunity. So no, money alone won't do it, even though it would make many feel better. What was robbed must be repaired and not simply paid for. Hmm. Now that's a word. So what is it that he feels Black Americans need today? He says Black America needs a massive education on money and how it works, otherwise known as financial literacy, along with computerization and technology. Both of these, he thinks, should be required classes before the end of high school. Also, an investment in graduating youth, either through a dedicated internship or a corporate job, or an ability to create a job through the creation of small business with modest venture finding and technical assistance support. Now, Operation Hope has leaned in here, he says, with our One Million Black Business and Entrepreneur Initiative, which is backed by a $130 million investment committed by Shopify. What is his response to business leaders who feel that racial and social justice issues are not their problems? He says that business leaders who do not believe that social justice and racial issues are, are not their problem probably should retire before they embarrass themselves in public. The reality is the world has changed right before our very eyes, and it is not, thankfully, going back to the way that it used to be. Employees, customers, and shareholders are demanding a different kind of thoughtfulness from their CEO and other leaders. They do not just want to be sent a dividend payment. They want sustained and authentic brand equity as well. And one more thing, the math is against this type of leader. If you want to find economically prosperous and growing companies, cities, and regions, look for those that are diverse and inclusive. This is not soft soap, wishful thinking, but the math of the matter and to quote his friend, Melody Hobson, well, she says, quote, I like math because it doesn't have an opinion. So Village, yet another viewpoint from one of our business leaders in the African-American community. 
If you are interested in hearing more of his thoughts, then I invite you to check out his books, The Memo and Up From Nothing. Next week, I will share thoughts and opinions of Janice Bryant Howroy, who is the founder and CEO of the Act One Group. Okay, Village, so it's time for another walk to my musical jukebox. This song is the second single from his 1971 album and is regarded as one of popular music's most poignant anthems of sorrow regarding the environment. The song rose to number four on Billboard's pop singles chart, and it was number one for two weeks on the R&B singles chart. In 1991, a music video of the song was released by Motown Records, featuring appearances by celebrities such as Big Daddy Kane, Bobby Brown, Diana Ross, David Bowie, and Wesley Snipes. This song was the singer's third single recording to win a Grammy Hall of Fame award. Here's Mercy, Mercy Me by the late great Marvin Gaye. And when we come back, I will get into today's topic.
Okay, Village. So this week, I wanted to talk about why we as BIPOC communities should care about politics. And as always, when I talk about topics like this, I think that it is important to talk about history because it is imperative for us to know where we came from in order to have a better understanding of where we are going. Now, there are a lot of us who are under the mistaken belief that voting and politics do not matter and that there is no need for us to participate in either. But here's the thing, beautiful people, both impact our lives on a daily basis. So why would you not want to participate in driving the direction that this country goes in or in having the power to address the issues that concern our communities? in leveling the playing field so that we can have equity in healthcare, education, socioeconomics, home ownership, racial justice, etc. Do we really want to sit back and allow the people who continue to create or uphold policies that oppress us and create the kind of inequity that not only can hold us back from enjoying equal access, but that can also put us in dire situations that can also cost us our lives. Now, you might be thinking, okay, CK, really? <laughs> yes, it can be that serious because if we are not involved in shaping a world that benefits all of us, that allows everyone the opportunity to live in a country where freedom truly rings, then how exactly do you think that things will turn out without our involvement? Who do you think will look out for our interests? African Americans have a history in both major political parties of the United States. After the Civil War, almost all Blacks considered themselves Republicans. It was the Republican Party, after all, that was started by abolitionists. And of course, it was the party of President Abraham Lincoln. Meanwhile, Southern Democrats strongly opposed any rights to Blacks at the time and for almost a century thereafter. African-Americans weren't even allowed to officially attend the Democratic Convention until 1924. Things began to change, however, during the Great Depression of the 1930s with President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Now, the New Deal was a program that helped disadvantaged and minority communities find work. This persuaded about 71% of African Americans to vote for a Democrat for president, even though only 44% considered themselves to be members of the Democratic Party. And in 1948, Democrat Harry Truman ordered the desegregation of the military in addition to an executive order affecting racial discrimination of federal employment, securing much of the Black vote for the election later that year. During this time, 56% of African Americans were now Democrats. It was the association of civil rights legislation with President John F. Kennedy and President Lyndon Baines Johnson that solidified Black loyalty to the Democratic Party for good. JFK proposed and LBJ signed 
the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which outlawed public discrimination. And LBJ's Republican opponent, Barry Goldwater, opposed it, garnering Johnson with 94% of the Black vote that year, which was a record until 2008. Johnson would later go on to sign the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And I got to tell you, Village, that this is something that we need to understand is in great jeopardy, our right to vote. There is voter suppression legislation that is being proposed all across the country, determined to limit our ability to vote and to silence our voices so that the things that matter to us will never be addressed. Now, by this time, the majority of Blacks have become Democrats, and by 2016, only 8% of African Americans considered themselves Republicans. Although 88% of African Americans voted for Democrat Hillary Clinton in 2016, only 70% considered themselves Democrats. Over the last 40 years, Black Americans have consistently voted overwhelmingly for the Democratic presidential candidate. The most votes any Republican candidate received from Blacks since 1968 was Gerald Ford in 1976, which was 15%. Now, the 2020 presidential election was intense. And it felt like our country's entire future was at stake because it was. After years of dealing with an incompetent, and I am saying that as nicely as I can, president who further divided our nation, let me say it for you guys in the back, who further divided our nation, and I think that we were uh, more than a bit concerned that he would be elected again and would have free reign to inflict more damage on this country, but that didn't happen because the people of America spoke. And when we show up in particular, we flip the script. You feel me? We pulled through and voted 45 out of office. But that doesn't mean that the work is over, beautiful people. In fact, for the BIPOC community, it's just begun. I want you all to realize that just because you may not hear about 45 in the news each and every day, as we once did, you better believe that he is working behind the scenes, doing more than y'all realize, to garner all the support that he can in order to be elected again in 2024. Don't sleep on that because it's real. Now, yes, it's hard to see the bigger picture when neo-fascists march on the Capitol, but we can't let 45 and his haters distract us from our bigger goal which is to work towards a more fair, equal, and just society. It may seem worlds away, but midterm elections, which will be in November of 2022, will be here before we know it. And although we may be still exhausted from the chaotic 2020 general election, we have to start moving forward if progress is the ultimate goal. Now, what are midterm elections? Midterms are elections that are held midway between a president's term, which is every two years. Now, these elections determine the legislative branch's makeup, meaning the House of Representatives and the Senate. What voters decide during midterm elections is like a litmus test for how well the president is doing. This time, 
If Americans vote in more Democratic representatives, that means they're pleased with Biden's performance. If voters go red, that usually indicates the opposite. But there is something that I would like for us to think about, right? The midterms can provide the president with the support needed to further the agendas or legislation that is being worked on to our benefit. When we do not show up, Village, for midterm elections, and without recognizing the purpose of them, we can mistakenly make passing beneficial legislation an uphill battle that the president will not be able to win on his own. And that is just what happened with President Obama in the 2010 midterm elections. No one can do anything in our government by themselves. No one. And to think that one person can signals a clear misunderstanding in how our government actually works. Every midterm year is different, but in 2022, all 435 congressional seats will be up for grabs and 34 of the 100 Senate seats will be open for the taking. That means both senators, congresspeople, and people vying for their jobs will be very busy running their campaigns. It's also worth noting that unlike the presidential election, midterms rely on the popular vote rather than the electoral college. So there's no winner takes all this time around. Every single vote packs a major punch. Now, why are midterm elections important? Okay, kings and queens, I kind of spoke about this a few minutes ago, but let's talk about why midterm elections are important. But before I get into that, allow me to give you something else to consider. Now, there are times when presidents inherit problems that may have been mismanaged by the previous administration or that may have occurred toward the end of a previous administration. And now the current president has to tend to those issues before they can even get to the things that they campaigned on. For example, how President Obama inherited the Great Recession and how President Biden has to make sure that the vaccines for the coronavirus pandemic would be available for everyone, despite the hesitancy for those who are not willing to take it. Although much of America usually becomes enthralled with general elections for better or for worse, midterms have historically been treated like the presidential election's boring little sibling. That's a shame, but true. Presidential elections are flashy and dramatic, and they engage the country in a unified, if divisive, national discourse. But make no mistake, primary elections are just as important as general elections, if not more so. If the Democratic Party has control of the legislative branch, both the House and the Senate, Biden is more likely to pass whatever policy he wants without much pushback. When both branches are controlled by one party, that is when real change can occur. Unfortunately, midterm elections have historically been unkind to sitting presidents. The honeymoon period is over and voters are usually already fed up with the status quo. They want to change. 
they typically make their desire for change known by voting for the, par the party that is not already in the White House. This exact situation happened, as I mentioned earlier, with President Obama in 2010, when Republicans gained a net of 63 seats in the House, a midterm disaster that Obama infamously called a shellacking. And it also happened with 45 in 2018. Democrats gained a net 41 seats in the House. Midterms are also crucial because historically, voter turnout is much lower in the midterms than it is in the general elections. And the people that do turn out to vote, well, they're typically older, more conservative voters who tend to vote Republican. There's no excuse not to vote in the midterm elections. They have just as much of an impact as presidential elections do. So what's at stake during these midterms? In other words, what's in it for us? Well, for BIPOC folks, that is Black, Indigenous, and people of color, change is long overdue. And when we elected President Joe Biden, he promised that he would make BIPOC issues a priority. He laid out plans in his first 100 days in office to address the problems that directly affect communities of color. These plans included investing $30 billion in small businesses run by Black, Brown, and Native entrepreneurs. He also planned to loosen restrictions on asylum seekers at the U.S.-Mexican border and to extend protections for DREAMers. But he can't make these plans a reality unless he has the legislative branch to back him up. Now, some other things that may be of interest to us particularly here in the African-American community, is to see to it that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act get passed. This bill addresses a wide range of policies and issues regarding policing practices and law enforcement accountability. It increases accountability for law enforcement misconduct. It restricts the use of certain policing practices. It enhances transparency and data collection. And it establishes best practices and training requirements. And some other notable parts of this bill lowers the criminal intent standard from willful to knowing or reckless to convict a law enforcement officer for misconduct in a federal prosecution. It limits qualified immunity as a defense to liability in a private civil action against a law enforcement officer. And it also grants administrative subpoena power to the Department of Justice, the DOJ, in pattern or practice investigations. Luckily, Congress is held by the Democrats now, and the Senate is split evenly down the middle, with Vice President Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker. But in 2022, Democrats must keep their majority in Congress and push for a larger majority of the Senate, at least two-thirds, so that all Democratic legislation can pass without a struggle. After all, there's nothing worse than congressional gridlock, a phenomenon that seems to have become a permanent state in the legislative branch. When the Democratic-controlled legislative and executive branches are working in tandem 
That's when BIPOC folks can advocate for and actually expect real change. In short, it's never too soon to start laying the foundation towards a nationwide blue wave. As Stacey Abrams taught us in Georgia, it takes time and patience to build up an infrastructure of voters. When Abrams lost Georgia's gubernatorial race in 2018, she decided to pour all her time and resources into mobilizing the vote and fighting white supremacist voter suppression. Stacey Abrams made it her business to go out and register people of color, political science professor Andra Gillespie told One News Publication. She went out and registered thousands of people to vote and then created the tools to help remind them about the election process. What's important about Abrams' strategy is that she started paving the way to a blue Georgia in 2018. She knew that her efforts would take years to pay off. What Abrams did in Georgia can serve as a sort of blueprint for the way Democrats can flip red seats blue or blue seats more progressive. The way that AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, beat 10-term incumbent Joe Crowley in 2018. If young BIPOC, excuse me, if young BIPOC folks want to see a 22, a 2022 blue wave in the midterms, well, they have to start mobilizing now. We have to start now. That means joining political activism groups, donating or volunteering at the DNC. Read up on primary candidates and pay attention to your local state proposition. It means spreading the word about midterms months before they happen, either by word of mouth or social media. The future is in our hands, Village. All we have to do is show up. Now this next song is from her seventh studio album, Unapologetic, which was released in 2012. It was written by Sia together with producers Ben Blanco and Stargate. This is a mid-tempo pop electronic and R&B ballad that features heavy synthesizers, orchestral sounds, and electronic rhythms. The song's lyrics serve as a departure from the themes of unhealthy relationships that were on previous singles, and it contains a prominent concept of love. It topped music charts in 20 countries, including the U.S., where it became her 12th number one single, tying her with Madonna and the Supremes for the fifth most number one singles in the chart's history. The song's music video was shot by director Anthony Mandler, a frequent collaborator of the singer, and depicts her in four environments that represent the elements of earth, air, water, and fire. The video received positive reviews and was praised for its imagery. You know the song reminds me of why I probably would not be a good contestant on the game show Beat Shazam which is hosted by Jamie Foxx, <laughs> because Shine Bright Like a Diamond is just the hook. It's not the title 
of the song. <laughs> this queen slays all day. Here's Diamonds by Rihanna. Shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. Find light in the beautiful sea. I chose to be happy.
Okay, beautiful people. So it's time for this week's inspirational story, which is entitled Frogs for Dinner. Yummy. Here's the story. (laughs) A lady was once heating up a pot of water on a gas stove with the intent of cooking pasta for her family for dinner. A frog fell into the pot while it was sitting on the stove. Where did that frog come from? Oh. Uh, But while it wasn't his intention to be stuck in a pot of water, nor I don't think her intention to cook it, um, he didn't try to escape. He was comfortable enough as he was. Now the lady soon (laughs) turned on the flame to begin boiling the water. As the water's temperature began to rise, the frog was able to adjust its body temperature accordingly. So he remained in the pot without trying to do anything to change the situation. However, as the water approached its boiling point, the frog's body temperature could no longer keep up. He finally tried to jump out of the pot, but with water temperature continuing to increase, he didn't have it in him to make the leap. And it was too late for the frog to save himself. I just want to know if the lady was like cooking dinner for her family, how come she wasn't like checking the pot? Uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. Okay, what's the moral of this story? Things don't always go as planned in life. And they certainly don't always go the way we want them to. But no matter how bad a situation is, it's critical to be proactive and face the problem head on. Unlike the frog who waited until the last minute to try to do anything about the problem he was clearly facing, it's important to project the future outcomes of the obstacles that hinder you and mediate them before they get past the point of no return. You have to avoid wasting time and you have to take appropriate action before problems get out of hand or become too much to handle. Now that's a word for us all. Okay, beautiful people. So our last song for the evening is a romantic ballad that was written by Northern Irish singer-songwriter Van Morrison. And it was included on his 1970 album, Moondance. The cover of the single shows Morrison with his then wife, Janet Planet Rigsby. The photograph was taken by Elliot Landy, who was the official photographer of the 1969 Woodstock Festival. Now this song has been covered by many, many, many artists, but the one that I'm interested in is the one by this cool drink of water, this tall chocolate hottie whose voice is as smooth as velvet. He released his version on Mercury Records on August 8th, 1995. And it even appeared on the music soundtrack for the film, Jason's Lyric. Here's Crazy Love from the one, the only, Brian McKnight. I can hear her heartbeat from a thousand miles. 
Well, kings and queens, we have come to the end of another show. 
I do hope that the information provided will be of help to you. Remember, it is always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I look forward to being with you all again next week. Please be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary, and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can catch all episodes of Village Mentality on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and Breaker. And there's also a link to each episode available on Instagram, again, at villagementality.ckmsm, Mary, and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast, as well as the awakenedlounge.com backslash village hyphen mentality. Just remember that God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people, and here's to brighter days.